All right. Well, I am excited. I want to encourage us with the Word of God today. You can tell by your bulletins there that uh, this song that we just sang, Every Victory, that we chose to make this song the theme for our worship service today. And, and so that is what I am going to preach from. This song declares one name, one name holds every victory, one voice that silences the enemy, one king who reigns for all eternity, and that one is Jesus. And the reason that he has all the victory, the reason he has all the authority is because he resurrected from the dead. Because in obedience to God the Father, he humbled himself and took on the form of humanity. And not just any humanity, but humanity raised in poverty. He could have come as a king. He could have come and been celebrated. But no, he was born to a young couple, anonymous, unknown, he was raised as a refugee in Egypt as a toddler before he was able to return to his hometown. But it was a hometown that nobody knew anything about. It was a backwoods town in the deserts. And he was raised in obscurity and in humility. And then in obedience to the Father, at the age of 30 years old, he stepped into his ministry. And after three years of ministry, that obedience took him to the cross, where on the cross he bore the sin of all mankind, Listen, dying ate an excruciating death where he was tortured and beaten and hung on a cross and left to suffocate on that cross. That's bad enough. But that wasn't the worst of what he went through. The worst of what he went through is when the sin of all mankind was placed upon him. And in that moment, God the Father could not be in fellowship with him because God the Father cannot fellowship with sin. And so God the Father turned his back on him and hanging on that cross, Bearing all the weight of humanity, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he died bearing that sin. But praise God, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he arose victorious, and he walked out of that grave, reunited in fellowship with the Father. But most importantly, because he did that, we are reunited in fellowship with the Father. Because our sin, our brokenness disqualifies us from walking with God. But when we receive Jesus as Lord, the blood that he shed on the cross pays the price for our every sin. And we are forgiven and made whole to where now we can be one with God the Father. We can have a relationship with him. We can walk with him. But also, we can experience every victory with him. If you've got your notes, you can find your notes inside the bulletin if you got that on your way in. If you're watching this video on the website, the notes are attached to the video. If you're listening to this audio podcast, the notes are attached to the, to the podcast. But here's our big picture point today. Here's where we're going. Our Savior won every victory we need through his death and resurrection. Jesus is the source of and the strength for Every spiritual victory. Jesus is the source of our every victory, and he is the strength behind our every victory. And that's great news because you know what that means? That means we don't have to be victorious. We don't have to win. And praise God for that. You might be like, well, pastor, you look like you got it all together. Well, listen, I know who I am apart from Jesus, and I am not victorious. I am a broken human being. I was lost in addiction. 
I was lost in hate and hurting people. I ran around lying and deceiving and stealing, wounding my family and doing many things. My life was out of control and anger. I know who I am apart from Jesus. And so praise God, I don't have to be victorious. He's victorious for me. I don't have to be strong. He's strong for me. Every strength, every victory we find in him. Thank you, Jesus. I want to start actually way back in the Old Testament. You can see in your notes Deuteronomy chapter 20. Let me get there in my Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 3. And this is interesting because this is actually part of the Old Testament law. This was actually codified into law that if an army of Israel was to go into battle, the priest was actually to make this declaration over the army before they were to march into battle. So any battle, no matter how big or small, throughout history, according to their written law, they were supposed to declare this going into battle. Deuteronomy chapter 20, starting in verse 3. He, the priest, will say to them, Listen to me, all you men of Israel. Do not be afraid as you go out to fight your enemies today. Do not lose heart or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies, and he will give you victory. Come on, can I get a shout here today? Can I get a little celebration? He will give you victory. Maybe we, what we need to do is we need to write these verses down, and we need to declare them over our lives. Before every battle, every difficulty, every hardship that we go through, we got to declare, don't panic, don't tremble, don't be afraid. Even if you're outnumbered, you're overwhelmed, you know it's going to be painful, you know it's going to be difficult, you're not sure if you're going to make it through, we're going to declare over ourselves, don't panic, don't fear, don't tremble. Why? Because God is going with you. And he is going to fight for you. And he is going to win the victory. Hallelujah. Now check this out. In the Old Testament, when they talked about warfare, they were actually going to war, right? The Old Testament was a time of war. War, God used war amongst mankind to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes it was to bless. Sometimes it was to judge, right? But God used this throughout history. So when you're reading the Old Testament and they're talking about going to war, like they were actually going to war. We live in the New Testament now. When we talk about going to war, we're talking about a spiritual war. Right, what did Paul write to the Ephesians? He said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is important. Flesh and blood are never the enemy. Right? Flesh and blood are never the enemy. We've got this war going on in Ukraine right now, and the entire world is mad at Russia. And rightfully so. They are doing heinous things in the nation of Ukraine right now. And we pray for the Ukrainians, we stand for the Ukrainians, and we pray against this warfare that is happening, and we pray against Putin. But listen, the Russians are not the enemy, and Putin is not the enemy. Right? Flesh and blood is never the enemy. So when we take these scriptures and we talk about warfare and we talk about victory, we're talking about it in the spiritual realm. Right? We're talking about it in the spiritual realm. And so I put this in your notes. So we have the promise of every spiritual victory in Jesus, but spiritual victory does not mean that we get to avoid 
pain, suffering, and loss. There's this false gospel out there that says that if you follow Jesus, every victory means that everything goes your way. You get everything you want. You get every prayer answered. Everything goes your way. You always get the job. The check always shows up in the mail. Everybody always gets healed. And listen, that is a false gospel. When we follow Jesus, we follow Jesus even in pain and suffering and failure. Every victory is promised in the spiritual, but not every victory is promised in the physical. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. He said that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's like, man, listen, I want to know Jesus in victory, but I also want to know Jesus in sufferings. I want to know Jesus when it hurts. I want to know Jesus when it feels like I'm dying inside. I want to know Jesus when it feels like everything is going wrong. Right? We are here to celebrate the resurrection today, and we love the resurrection. We love the celebration. We love the victory. But what we don't love is that in order to have resurrection, that means something had to die. Right? In order to celebrate the resurrection, we have to recognize that something had to die. And so Paul understood that he was called to a life of victory, but that life of victory also included suffering and death. Right? Jesus said a servant is not above the master. I'm going to come right on over here, try to keep my tablet out of the rain. Jesus said a servant is not above the master. Jesus said, if they hated me and persecuted me, they're going to hate you and persecute you. So we need to understand that difficulty and pain and suffering is a part of the Christian life. In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote this describing his ministry. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Right? He says, so when God does amazing things through us, God's going to get all the glory. Why? Because we are broken. And then he goes on to describe his ministry this way. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. That doesn't sound like a ministry of somebody who wins every fight, right? We're struck down, we're persecuted, we're hard-pressed on every side. But he goes on to say, always carrying about in our body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life works in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to that what was written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to assume you can hear me. Andrew, you just keep turning the volume up. The louder the rain gets, the louder the speakers will get. And the more sideways the rain gets, the less place I have to hide. Hallelujah. 
Showers of blessing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So Paul said, listen, when in our ministry we're getting persecuted and we're suffering and things seem to be broken and things aren't working and we feel like we're constantly being delivered over to death, we know that the same Jesus who resurrected is going to cause us to rise up victorious as well. That's the picture of every victory. How about John the Baptist? John the Baptist, after preparing the way for Jesus, he baptizes Jesus. He actually sees the heavens open up, hears the audible voice of God speak over Jesus, watches a dove descend from heaven and land on Jesus, and gives his whole ministry as a preparation for the coming of Jesus. A few months later, John the Baptist is in prison, and he sends a messenger to Jesus to ask him, are you the Messiah? Wait a minute. John the Baptist saw the heavens open up, heard the voice of God, saw a dove come down from heaven and land on Jesus, told everybody this is the Messiah, and now a few months later, he's sending a messenger to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? Why did John the Baptist suddenly have doubts that Jesus was the Messiah? Because he was in prison. That's why. He had gotten thrown into prison. And so he sends this messenger to Jesus. Did I get this right? Because I'm in prison for speaking your name. Did I get this right? And Jesus told the messenger, you go back and tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak. You go tell him all the miracles that you're seeing. You go confirm to him that I am the Messiah. But then he says this, blessed are those who are not offended at my name. What was Jesus saying? He was also telling the messenger, when you go back to John, you go tell him, I'm not coming. He's not getting out of prison. This is the end for John. And then he turns to the crowd and begins to tell the crowd how amazing John is. He says, there is no one who has walked the face of this earth who will be as great in the kingdom of heaven as John the Baptist. He was a mighty prophet. He did everything God asked. Are you guys tracking with me? Right after telling the messenger, I'm not going to rescue him, he then tells the crowd how amazing John is. Right? Being amazing doesn't mean that everything goes our way. Being obedient to God doesn't mean that everything goes our way. Being full of faith doesn't mean that everything goes our way. And then finally, what about the heroes of Hebrews chapter 11? Picking it up in verse 32, as as the writer of Hebrews discusses these heroes of the faith, He says, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back to life again. Right? He's talking about all these mighty miracles, but then all of a sudden, in the same sentence, 
the atmosphere changes, and he says, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and beatings, yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, and that's with big rocks crushing them to death, not getting high on weed, okay? They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom this world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that they would not receive the promise apart from us. So what was the difference? We've got this long list. We've got people who performed supernatural miracles. They, they, they conquered kingdoms. They pushed back armies. They received their dead back to life again. They stopped the mouths of lions. They escaped the edge of the sword. We have this group of heroes that performed these mighty miracles. And then we have this group that was tortured and beaten and executed. And they wandered around in poverty, hiding in mountains and caves. What was the difference between this group and that group? What was the difference? The only difference was God's sovereignty. That's it. The only difference between those two groups of people is that God gets to choose our outcome. That's it. I want you guys to track with me on this. I want you guys to get this. The only difference between those who performed mighty miracles and those who were tortured and died is that God chose them to perform mighty miracles and God chose them to be tortured and die. Why would God choose that? To accomplish his purposes. Because our God is good and our God works all things for good. And the greatest good that we can believe for is that more and more people would go to heaven. And so listen, if I have to go through hardship and torture, if I have to go through difficulty and pain, and that means that more people go to heaven, then that is spiritual victory. That is spiritual victory. But of these two groups, they were both heroes of the faith. They both believed God. They both gave their lives in complete devotion to God. They both worshiped God. They both prayed to God. They were all full of faith. The only difference between the groups is that God chose one for a miracle and one for suffering and difficulty. Well, if God chooses, does that mean that we stop praying for miracles? No. I pray for miracles every day. And sometimes God answers my prayer, and sometimes he doesn't. I prayed for my friend for two months last year, and he still died. But I still pray for miracles every day. Because I don't know when God's going to choose the miracle, and I don't know when he's going to choose the suffering for me. But I know that I'm always going to be a man of faith, and I'm going to lean into him and trust him. And I'm going to see every victory work through my life, whether it's through a miracle or whether it's through suffering. All right, you guys are like, wow, Pastor, this is a great resurrection message. I'm trying to tell you the truth. 
I'm trying to prepare you for the reality of what God has called us to. We don't like to lose. We like to win. We don't like death. We like resurrection. But sometimes we have to lose. Listen, I am a Chargers fan, all right? I feel like God chose me to be a Chargers fan just to humble me and just to allow me to experience loss year after year after year. All right, come on. You guys feel me? Any other cursed Chargers fans out there? Come on. My goodness. I remember 2004, Drew Brees and LaDainian Tomlinson were still young. And we made it to the playoffs, and we were playing the Jets, and the game went to overtime. And we got into field goal range, and we had Drew Brees and LaDainian Tomlinson, two of the greatest football players in NFL history. And our coach decided that instead of keeping moving towards the end zone, that we would stop right there and try to kick a field goal. And do you know what happened? We missed that field goal, and the Jets won the game. A couple years later, now we have Phillip Rivers and LaDainian Tomlinson, and we have the best team in all of football. It's our best chance ever to go to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. And we're playing the Patriots in the playoffs. And we've got a small lead. And it's late in the game. And the Patriots have the ball. And Tom Brady throws an interception. All we have to do is kneel on the ball. And our offense will come on the field and run the clock out and we'll win the game. But do you know what happened? That defender who intercepted it did not kneel on the ball. He started returning it. And wouldn't you know he fumbled it? The Patriots picked it up and they go down and score and win the game. Come on. A few years after that. We're playing the Ravens at the end of the season. All we have to do is beat the Ravens and we're going to go to the playoffs. And the Ravens have the ball. The Chargers are winning late in the game. And the Ravens have fourth and 29. Fourth down and 29 yards to go. And Joe Flacco drops the ball off to Ray Rice right at the line of scrimmage. And wouldn't you know that Ray Rice weaved his way through the Chargers defense and gained 29 and a half yards. Got the first down. The Ravens score, win the game, and we don't go to the playoffs. And then, of course, there was last year where the Chargers are playing the Raiders in the last game of the season. All we have to do is tie them, and we will go to the playoffs. We don't even have to win the game. All we have to do is tie them, and we will go to the playoffs. And wouldn't you know it, at the end of regulation, the game is tied. So it goes to overtime. And if we could just get to the end of overtime with the game still tied, we would go to the playoffs. But wouldn't you know it, on the very last play of overtime, the Raiders kicked a field goal to win the game and we don't go to the playoffs, all right? Come on. I'm just having therapy with you guys right now, okay? I just, I just need to process this, right? We don't like to lose. But I'm here to declare that we have every victory in Jesus, but that every victory doesn't mean that everything goes our way in the physical. But here's the great thing. When we know that we have every victory in Jesus, then when life hurts, we're not scared. Because even in our pain, we know that Jesus is still victorious. Even when we fail, we don't have to stay stuck in our failure. Because we know that even in our failure, Jesus is still victorious. 
You see, the problem with the false gospel is we tell people that everything goes their way. And then when things don't go their way, either they give up on God or they learn how to be fake and they just come to church every week and pretend like they're victorious when inside they know that everything's going wrong. We need to be real with each other. We need to be able to say, you know what? I'm hurting and I'm broken and I'm falling apart right now. And that's not because I lack faith. And that's not because Jesus isn't victorious. It's just because Jesus has chosen me for this season to hurt. And I need to be real about that hurt because I need the church to love me right now. Come on, can we have that level of authenticity, that level of transparency? That's what truth does. Truth sets us free. And so we're going to preach the true gospel because the true gospel includes suffering and pain and difficulty. Come on. So then what does Jesus have victory over? If we're not promised that everything's going to go our way, if we're not promised that we're always going to get healed, we're always going to get the breakthrough, we're always going to get the check in the mail, if we're not promised, what is it that Jesus does have victory over? What does the spiritual victory look like? And you can see in your notes, I'm going to give you five things, and I'm going to give them to you fairly quickly. Number one, this one is interesting. What does Jesus have victory over? Number one is us. You write the word us in there. Jesus has victory over us. This verse in 2 Corinthians 2.14, listen to this. The verse says this, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. See, this is one of those verses that we can take out of context and say, see, everything is supposed to go our way. No, listen to this. That phrase there, always leads us in triumph, what the original Greek language actually means is, but thanks be to God who triumphs over us but thanks be to God who triumphs over us. And so when Paul writes there that he leads us in triumph, what he's saying is God triumphs over us, and then we become the trophy of his victory. So that when God leads us out into the world, he leads us out as a trophy of his victory because he has triumphed over us. The first victory that Jesus needs to win is over us because we are stubborn. We are willful. We are sinful, right? We are headstrong. We want it our way. And when Jesus gets victory over us and breaks that willfulness and that sinfulness in our lives, then we become trophies of his grace. And he can send us out. Come on. Hey, bud. When I go out into the world, I go out as a trophy of his grace. I'm not who I used to be. God has victory over my life. I used to go out as an addict, as a thief, as a criminal. Right? People should have feared me or mistrusted me or not wanted me around. But now when I go out, I go out as a trophy. I'm not going to hurt people. I'm not going to lie to people. Right? God has victory over us. The first victory that Jesus wins is over us. And if he has not won that victory, then that is a place where we need to surrender to his victory over our lives. 
He wins victory over us. And then here's the cool thing. It says that when he sends us out as his trophy, that's what manifests through us is the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. That means everywhere we go as a trophy of God, that he is victorious over us. Everywhere we go, the gospel triumphs through us because God is working through us. And the sweet aroma of the knowledge of God is being received in every place. Come on, when you're a trophy, there's an aroma coming off of you. And when you let God have victory over you, then the gospel is victorious through you when you go out into the world. What does Jesus have victory over? Number two is the world. Right? In John 16, Jesus declared, Take courage, for I have overcome the world. In 1 John 4, 4, it says that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then in 1 John 5, starting in verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus overcomes the world. Okay, so what does that mean? What is the world? Well, you can see I put it there in your notes because I wanted all of us to have an understanding of this. The world, let me read it along with you, is the practices and standards of secular society that are alienated from God and in rebellion to him. The practices and standards of a secular society that are in rebellion to God. That is what the Bible is talking about when it says the world. The ways of the world, the way the world does things, the way the world expects things, the way the world judges things, all of that is the world. And Jesus says, I have overcome the world. What does that mean? That means that we can do it God's way, and we don't have to be afraid. Right? Because we get these pressures in life from a secular society that says, hey, if you want to get ahead and work, this is the way you got to do it. And then you'll get pressures like, you got to forsake your family, and you got to be at work all the time, because if you want to get ahead and work, that's what you got to do. Or you'll get pressure like, hey, if you want to get ahead and work, you got to lie and deceive, because if you tell the truth, you're not going to get anywhere in your career, right? Or you might get the pressure, hey, if you're going to get ahead and work, you got to be this type of a person, and you have to treat people this way, because if you're not willing to do that, people are going to walk all over you, and you're not going to get ahead. Right? We face these pressures all the time. This is how the world expects you to do it. Listen, take courage. Jesus has overcome the world. We don't have to do it that way. The world might put pressure on you. Hey, if you ever want to be in a relationship, you got to do it this way. Right? You got to give yourself away sexually. You got to present yourself this way. You got to act like this type of person. No, Jesus has overcome the world. You don't have to do it the world's way. Thank you, Jesus. Are you guys following me? He's overcome the world. We don't have to do it the world's way. We can do it God's way. And even if it looks like a failure in the natural, we're still victorious. I have made decisions to follow God in obedience. And the result of those decisions has been seasons of poverty, Difficulty, not being able to pay bills, not knowing where the next paycheck is going to come from, not knowing how we're going to make it. 
And I have no way of explaining to my secular family who says, wow, you made a bad choice. You put your family in a bad situation. And all I can say is, no, I made the right choice because I did it God's way because I'm not going to bow down to the world's way. And I'm going to take God's outcome no matter what it is because I know that Jesus has overcome the world. Come on, can I get a hallelujah? Jesus. Number three, what has Jesus got victory over? The devil and his demons. The devil and his demons. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Paul writes this, When you were dead in your transgressions, or your sins, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our sins, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You hear that? Every accusation against you, every decree written against you, every recorded sin of your life, Jesus nailed it to the cross. Jesus nailed it to the cross. And then it says, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Jesus. Right? When Jesus hung on the cross, what looked like the greatest failure in the natural was actually the greatest victory in the spiritual. Because Jesus was disarming every spiritual authority. You need to know this. The devil has no weapons left against you. The devil has no weapons left against you. Jesus disarmed him. Right? For my police and military folks out there, you can imagine the, the, the exercises that you went through, the, the missions and the procedures that you pull off that when you have a surrendering army or when you have a perpetrator that you're taking into custody, that you have to disarm them so that that army or that perpetrator cannot harm you in any way. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He disarmed the devil and all of his demons. They have no weapons left to hurt you. He won the victory over them. Their greatest weapons are their accusations against you. Questioning whether you're worthy, what type of person you are, whether you're loved, whether you're good enough. Jesus nailed every one of those to the cross. You don't have to listen to a single one of those anymore. You are worthy. You are loved. You are enough. Thank you, Jesus. Number four. Jesus is victorious over sin. Let's read Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Come on. When we come to Jesus, our old self dies with him on the cross, and our new self rises up in the same resurrection power that brought Jesus back to life, and it says we are no longer slaves to sin. Jesus is victorious over every sin. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. 
We all still have this flesh on, and sin still resides in this flesh. And so we have the nature and the tendency to give in to that sin. But here's the awesome thing. In the victory in Jesus, we don't have to. You see, without Jesus, if you don't have Jesus in your life, you have to sin. It's your very nature. You're a slave to it. You don't have a choice. But when we have the victory of Jesus in our lives, we are no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to sin anymore. Every temptation that comes our way, God is strong enough that we don't have to give in to that temptation. We can be victorious over every sin. Come on. And if we do give in to sin, we go back to Jesus. We confess of our sin. We repent of it. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. But we don't have to anymore. And finally, number five, Jesus is victorious over death. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and when this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Jesus is victorious over death. What does that mean? We don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Because when death does come our way, that just means that we go into glory for all eternity. So as long as we're alive in this life, we're going to be a trophy of God's grace. And then when this life comes to an end, we're going to be in glory with him for all eternity. So death has no victory over us. We don't have to fear it. You could see Jesus' original followers that when he went to the cross, they went and hid in a room. Why? Because they were afraid of death. But when Jesus was resurrected, they weren't afraid anymore. And of the 11 of them that survived, obviously Judas was the betrayer. Of the 11 of them that survived, 10 of them were executed for speaking the name of Jesus. They weren't afraid of death anymore because when Jesus rose from the grave, he overcame death. And we no longer have to be afraid. Hallelujah. Can I get one more shout here today? Thank you, Jesus. Let's have the worship team come back up. I'm going to stop right there. For those of you that it'll freak you out if you still have blanks in your notes, the final four notes are that we surrender to the resurrected Christ. We find our strength in him. We allow the gospel to work in every area of our lives, and we stand and fight with the tools that we've been given. Thank you, Jesus. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, put on the full armor of God, and when you've done everything else, stand. Just stand. Don't give up. When life hurts, when the breakthrough didn't come, when everything's fallen apart, when we feel like a failure and we feel this tremendous urge to be fake and pretend in front of everybody that everything's okay, I want to encourage you today, you still have every victory in Jesus. And you don't have to earn it and you don't have to fight for it. Just stand. Just keep standing. Right? We don't have to worship God for victory. We worship God from a place of victory. We're already victorious. Thank you, Jesus. So just stand. James 4, 7 gives us the most simple formula to experience every spiritual victory that God promised. James 4, 7 says this, 
Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's it. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Live a life surrendered to the resurrected Jesus. Whenever temptation, lies, pressure, spiritual attacks come your way, just stand. Just resist. The devil has to flee because Jesus has won every victory. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to pray for you right now, and then we're just going to close by singing one more song to celebrate the Lord today. I just want to pray that this truth gets into your hearts, that you leave here encouraged and strengthened today because you know no matter how difficult life gets, you have every victory. All you got to do is speak the name of Jesus. All you got to do is live your life surrendered to him. Embrace your weakness because in your weakness, God's strength is made perfect. Thank you, Jesus. I pray right now. For everyone that had the the great privilege of gathering upon this field. I pray for everyone who's watching this video on the digital campus. I pray for everyone who's listening to this message on the podcast. I pray right now in Jesus' name that every one of us would experience every victory that you have promised Jesus. Every victory. God, we rejoice today that you went to the cross. We rejoice today that you disarmed every enemy. We rejoice today that you rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. We rejoice, and we know that today, Jesus, because you are alive and because you are victorious, we have access to every victory. So, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you today. Oh, God, we're not going to operate in our strength. We're going to operate in your strength, Lord. We're not going to try to win victories for ourselves. We're just going to live as trophies of the victory you've already won in our lives. Jesus, Jesus, I pray a great spirit of encouragement over everybody today. That the more difficult things get, the more encouragement would rise up in our spirits. Jesus, Jesus. God, I declare your victory over every life, Lord. Would you come even now, God? As we surrender ourselves to your name, would you break the sinfulness of our nature? Would you break the willfulness of our nature? Jesus, would you break us so that you might make us something new? God, would you give us victory over the world that we can live your way and that we could accept every outcome because we trust, God, that you have chosen every outcome. We will not bow down to the world. Jesus, would you give us victory over sin, that every temptation that comes into our life, Lord, we would lean on your strength, and we would know that, God, you will always give us a way out. We never have to give in. Would you give us victory today over death, that we would not live our lives in fear of death, but we would give our all for you, Lord, and live to the fullest every moment. Jesus, and we thank you that the devil may roar like a lion, But he is a toothless lion because, Jesus, when we follow you, the devil has no weapons that can prosper over our lives. Thank you for that, Jesus. Let today be a day of victory. Let today be a day of rejoicing. I pray victory over sin, victory over discouragement, victory over depression. Come on, victory over giving into the world. I declare it today. We are your people. We will live life your way. And, Lord, your kingdom will advance. 
and we will rejoice in that. We thank you for this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.